Don the Predator Fry. We're the United States of America. We're the toughest people ever walked this planet. It has to be Frank Mir. People ask her, do you feel bad you broke the person's arm? I'm like, no. Chael Sonnen. If you want to manipulate the system, first thing you have to do is understand the system. Jason Mayhem Miller. It was the worst experience of my life. Almost as bad as being on this show. It's time to knuckle up and throw down. Welcome to In This Corner with Cyrus Fees. We have a very, very fun episode here as we are in that interval. These couple of weeks in between season one and season two, which will be coming out in just two weeks' time. And season one was so incredible because we came out of the gate with so many big legends and icons and Hall of Famers and future Hall of Famers and maybe some guys that might not get to the Hall of Fame, but they should go into the Hall of Fame. And I'm so blessed that we were able to get so many of these incredible guests right out of the get-go. And what I wanted to do in this episode was highlight some of the old school stories of the sport, because with having all these icons, all these legends on the show, they started out in the infancy of UFC, of MMA, of this combat sport. They started it out. They were you know, some of the trailblazers, some of the icons, some of the people that forged the way for the fighters that we see today. Um, so, you know, I wanted to hear some of those stories from some of those smaller shows, some of those first fights, um, for a guy like Mark Kerr, uh, making his MMA debut in Brazil in some of the most incredible conditions with no rules whatsoever. Same thing happened to Frankie Edgar's first fight was unsanctioned. You're going to hear about all this. You're going to hear about Frank Mir and Sean Shirk having to share gloves in their respective events with, you know, who knows how many fighters, right? Like 20 different fighters. Um, we're going to hear all this. And, and I'm telling you guys, th- these stories are what really do it for me. Like, that's what I've really enjoyed the most about this process is talking to these guys, some of which I know, some of which I do not know, but just hearing how they came up, how they got to be the fighter that they became or, or that they are today. And, you know, all the wild stories in between. So that's exactly what you're going to get. Wild stories from, in order, Forrest Griffin, Frankie Edgar, Frank Mir, Sean Shirk, Pat Militich, Monty Cox, Jens Pulver, Stefan Bonner, and the smashing machine, Mark Kerr. Now, how is that for a lineup? It's quick hitters. It's quick stories. But you guys are going to love it. From season one of In This Corner, Let's get right to it. Maybe one of those crazy promoters or just something that would be interesting from the early career of Forrest Griffin. Well, I used to fight for this guy named Jamie Levine. Okay. And I would get my fights because a guy named Frank Bishop, who was on the underground forum, his, Frank is cool, would basically just call people out. And then I would get fights. So I started fighting for this guy, Jamie Levine, and he would stiff me. Every fight. Well, you like three fights in a row. I fought for him maybe three times. Yeah. And uh, he would stiff me. And then he would pay me when I agreed. He would pay me. But like not till I, for three months later, when I agreed to fight for him again. And it was, it was just a hilarious thing. I just kind of put up with it. And I was like, 800 bucks is better than nothing, man. You know? Oh, man. Like, uh, yeah. And then I thought it was cool. I remember... Uh, so I used to ref fights for a local so NFC. I don't know if you're familiar. Oh, with yeah, David Oblos. Yeah. Absolutely. So I used to referee for him 
and I would just see the craziest things because it was at like a bar, you know, and then you've all heard of the fights in the strip club, but oh, have, yeah. you, have you ever cornered a Mormon kid in a fight in a strip club? Huh? Clearly not. not. <laughs> that is a real thing. And he was very, he was more concerned about his surroundings than the actual opponent. That was wow. awesome. And he got upset because we were spraying beer everywhere and beer got in his mouth. It was pretty funny. Oh, jeez. <laughs> that, that's what I was looking for. That's what I was looking for. Oh, man. Yeah, well, my, my first fight ever was an unsanctioned fight in New York, you know, when, you know, fighting wasn't legal in New York. Yeah. Uh, I fought, I feel like three, four weeks after I started training, to be honest. And uh, it was up in the Bronx, some boxing gym in the Bronx. And uh, I drove up, to drive up there and there is no way in. There was no ambulance no medical people. Yeah. Um, I somehow ended up being the main event that night and, uh, <laughs> we were doing just one 15 minute round. Wow. And, and there was no rules, no rules whatsoever. So I go out there, I fight a guy who, uh, is still involved in MMA now. Um, this kid, Eric Uresk, he's a coach at Alliance, but, uh, okay. he was like, you know, highly touted at the time. I mean, I haven't, I didn't have any amateur fights or anything. I just come from a wrestling background. And, uh, I think I was, he was supposed to beat me, but, uh, I ended up, you know, I think, uh, he, he hit me with a couple of good knees to my face early on in a tie clinch. I shuck him off through some punches, got a takedown, you know, we scrambled a little bit, but I, I ended up headbutting him one time and then I finished him with, uh, with ground and pound, you know? So, uh, but I did break my face with those first knees. That was the first time I broke my <laughs> face. So, um, I didn't know it. I didn't know it. So I went out to dinner with my family afterwards. My face looked like I didn't get in a fight at all. I went to the bathroom to go blow my nose. I had a bloody nose, oh, and my no. whole face just blew up with air. And uh, I was like, I, back then, I didn't know what the hell was going on. I'm like, dude, what the fuck did I just do? <laughs> so, you know, we uh, went to the hospital, and they said, you broke your face, kid. <laughs> my first professional fight, I never had an amateur career. I, uh, I did an amateur boxing match, and then yeah. uh, I wanted to do more of those, but it was just as a heavyweight, they're just not easy to find. Of course. And then the same thing, MMA was just not easy. So I turned professional uh, right off the bat. And, and you went so, into the uh, UFC fairly quickly too. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so, I think my yeah, first professional been... fight was uh, June, I think. And then my first UFC fight was that September, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I think the thing that, you know, when people ask me, like, hey, any kind of crazy stories? I'm like, eh, you know, hook and shoot was interesting because, uh, you know, we all, you know, they had us all down in the basement of this like church that we were fighting in <laughs> and, um, and nothing too nuts, but just, I remember being disgusted by the fact we were all kind of like rotating the gloves. You know, they oh. had like about 20 <laughs> fights that night, but they didn't have 40 sets of gloves. They not had probably, I think about six to eight. And so as <laughs> number one was done fighting, he was giving his gloves to fight oh, number yeah. four or five. And, and rotating through. So, and I was, as even though it was my debut, being a heavyweight, they put me later in the card uh, just before I think Aaron Riley was fighting. And so, uh, you know, by the time I got the gloves, they were so soaked with, uh, and I told myself it was water, but obviously I knew that it was a lot of sweat from uh, about 15 other people that I had to put my hands And you were, you were in the main event? Uh, towards the end. That wasn't towards the, the end. Event. Okay. That's yeah. pretty good for your first pro fight. That's not bad. Eh, heavyweights, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I know, man. I well, love, I love watching heavyweights, man. Everybody wants to watch heavyweights. Uh, there was no regulations. There was no commissions involved. So 
every show was different. Um, every show, every promoter, they just kind of make up their own rules as they go. And, and, uh, I remember a, a funny story with actually it was my first fight. I fought in a show called danger zone and that was a Dan Severn show. And okay. that was in, uh, that was in Minnesota. So, uh, it was an eight man tournament, uh, which you don't see, you know, you fight three times in one night and back in, back in the early days, that was a normal thing. The gloves I ordered from Dave, remember that name, and they had these homemade gloves that he used that he made himself and they were nothing but, uh, but a piece of leather that fit over your hands. And, uh, him, myself, and John Rankin all wore the same gloves uh, the, throughout the night. So I fought first. Uh, I wore the gloves, won my fight, took the gloves off. I gave them to Dave. He wore them, took them off, gave them back to me. I fought, gave them to John Rankin. He wore them. Then I wore them again for my final fight. So by the end of the night, the, <laughs> these gloves were just filled with sweat and blood and, and hair and everything else you can possibly imagine. And I used the word gloves loosely because, like I said, it was nothing but just a thin piece of leather that barely covered over the knuckles right there. So um, I used those gloves for probably my first five or six mixed martial arts fights. And uh, after that, I was told by Monty Cox, he was one of the big promoters here in the Midwest. He says, uh, he says, we're going to have to retire those gloves now. You know, because between me, myself and John Rankin, you know, that's, that's all we ever wore. So he says, we're going to have to retire those gloves They're, they've, they've, they've done their purpose and it's time to put those away and start wearing some real gloves now. That's funny, man. Uh, yeah, that's an awesome story. And I've heard that a number of times, the sharing gloves thing. And it's, uh, it's something that seems so crazy now, but it was just right. normal back then. Yeah, I'll tell you a good story. Uh, have you ever had Monty Cox on? I have not met, I, I know Monty Cox. I think I've talked through email to Monty Cox about fighters, but I've never actually talked to, I don't think I've actually had a real conversation with him. I believe it was Wisconsin, in Michigan, Michigan, uh, a show in Michigan. And back then we'd drive an old U-Haul to a place uh, with, from Monty. We'd set up the cage, we'd fight in it, tear it down, and then drive it back, you know, and leave the truck, leave the truck at home. But he was doing a show up there. We've been up there a couple of days, um, setting things up and the, the, um, he wasn't selling any tickets. He's like, dude, I'm not going to be able to pay you guys. Uh, nobody, nobody's buying any tickets. And so Monty's a smart guy. He, he's, he's a pretty intelligent guy. And so he pays some people around town some money to hold some signs up. Let's say no human cockfighting. And so then he called the news <laughs> and said, hey, man, there's, there's like 20 people demonstrating yeah. And freaking out. And so the news covers it, puts it all over the news on all the stations up there. And the next thing you know, he sells the place out because everybody. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And there was another one. There was another one one time. He, uh, he calls, he calls me up and he goes, I'm struggling. My, my, uh, my main event fell apart on me and the, and the, and the, building sold out down here in Ottumwa, Iowa. And I go, well, who's your main event? He goes, Clayton Miller. And I forget the other guy's name. Back then when you were in the UFC, you could fight in other organizations. They didn't. Mm -hmm. So I said to Monty, I go, well, hell, I'll fight Clayton. And he goes, are you sure, man? It's, it's, you know, in two days. And I go, yeah, I'll drive down, stay at my aunt's in Albia, Iowa, which is there, uh, help her around the house and do some stuff for her fence and, you know, whatever. And then I'll swing over and beat up Clayton and, and get some money. Seriously, you do that? And I go, yeah, but here's, here's the stipulation. I get half the gate. And so, you know, he's at least getting 50% out of it. You know? sure. so, so he said, 
done, done deal, man. Let's do it. So I drove down there, fought Clayton Miller for 28 seconds or whatever it was. And, and <laughs> I mean, there were five, uh, 4,000 people there, something like that. So I got a really good payday. Better, better than I got in the UFC, I'll tell you that. It's funny because, you know, we had Pat on and we talked about some stories and he talked about, you know, where you, you didn't have a whole lot of tickets sold and you informed the media that there was the human cockfighting going on. Of course, that was the term that John McCain used yep. uh, back then. And before you know it, you sell it out just based on controversy and protests. Well, and I picketed. Everything. I picketed my own show. Oh, so you were out there picketing. I, I wasn't, but I gave, oh, okay. I, made, <laughs> I made the picket signs and I paid three guys to go out and walk up and down and say, we don't need this in our neighborhood. That oh, sold me 3,000 more tickets. Wow. You know, it's, uh, it, it's bananas. And, and, you know, it's funny. And I, I'm going to veer off just for a second. Actually, I'll veer off into Pat Miltich uh, territory here, uh, which obviously Pat's very involved with what goes on in the government and conspiracies and everything. And, and I don't know how, oh, yeah. I don't know how much you subscribe to all that. But um, that being said, you know, a lot of people are talking about these protests and these riots and about, you know, them bringing people in who are not necessarily, you know, citizens of that place and all this. Uh, and basically, that's kind of what you did. I mean, you basically, you know, manufactured some protesters and it ended up working out well for you. Do you kind of see some of that and you're like, oh, that's like an old promotion deal that maybe I did back in the day? <laughs> yeah, with, with a lot less destruction. Yeah, uh, thank goodness. And stuff. Right? I, I did a show at Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, and this was a special show for me. I grew up in Indiana, and, uh, you know, the, the Market Square Arena is where they hold the, the basketball championship. Oh, yes. And, they won and, the Pacers uh, you know, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but they're nothing compared to high school basketball. This is you true. Know, the Hoosiers. In yes, there, of course. You know. And so uh, uh, going back there was really special, and it's a huge place. And I was struggling, and I, I would call the newspaper – I used to work for the Muncie Evening Press, which was uh, owned by the same company as the Indianapolis Star and, and, and News. So I'm calling. They go, ah, we don't think it's sports. It's entertainment. Entertainment. go, ah, that's sports. No one would run anything for me. So me and two of my friends sat down. They had a thing called call-in. And you would, you would call in and you could say anything you wanted. they print it and people would comment. Well, he's going, hey, I hear we got this crazy show coming in. People killing each other and stuff like that in a cage. And then I'd come on as me and go, wait a minute, you know, it is exciting, but this is controlled, blah, blah, blah. Then another guy go, I saw one of these. It was, it was unbelievable. Guys slamming each other and stuff. And I go, yeah, it's exciting, but it's safe. And, and we did this for, I don't know, two hours. And, and uh, an hour later, my phone rings from the Indianapolis Star. He goes, dude, you're lighting up the, 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 the phone line. I got to do a story. And I'm like, oh, okay. And we did the whole story and I ended up doing 4,000. Hey, so it wasn't bad. too bad. It, it, I, I always tell people it couldn't have been too good because uh, six months later they tore the building down. And when I got into college, I wasn't, I was experiencing life and running around a little bit, but I was still wrestling, junior college, all American. And then all of a sudden, you know, I always felt like, boy, if I could punch, if I could just add hands into this wrestling, this would be something. And I knew about the UFC a little bit. And sure as, you know, they said, hey, you want to do a fight? And I was like, yeah. So I used to be, I was the guy that would fight for videotape. So people ask about my career. I tell them VHS to Blu-ray. That was my career. I had, I would literally fight for free. Guys with 235 pounds, whatever it was. 
but I would go out there and I would fight him for free just because I was trying to build a videotape. Cause I'm like, well, what am I going to do now that wrestling is over? And then yeah. when I started doing that fight, I'm like, okay, this is it. And I took off to go be a world champion and change my name. So you, so you were literally, so when you say fighting for video, say, so you were literally like fighting to like build a reel. Is that basically what you're yeah. saying? Like oh, kind of putting a reel. In fact, one time I had one of my roommates recording us and he had it so zoomed in. All you can see is basically my shorts and the other guy's shorts. I'm like, oh my, I go, oh my God, are you kidding me? I just did that whole fight for nothing. And sure as shit, I had to call another fight together a week later. And I go, don't zoom in. Oh no, man. Fight again. That's how dumb it was. Like I would go to gyms and fight. I would go, and mind you, there was no weight class, no time limit in the sport yet. And yeah. then finally, because of those videos of Lowell Anderson, I went up and trained with him. And they said, well, we're going to go to this boss suit invitational. And this yeah. boss suit invitational has John Peretti, who was the matchmaker for SEG. So he was the matchmaker for the UFC. And he was yeah. there with boss suit, who was the heavyweight champ. And so you're going to go in there and we're going to, you're going to go up there and you're going to, this is how you, this is your chance. I thought they only had 170 pounds, no time limit. Next, you know, I'm in this boss suit invitational trying to see if I can get in the UFC. But let's talk about this event, Jungle Fight Number One. I want to talk about this because, you know, I've looked at your record a couple of times, you know, for different things. And, and I always see Jungle Fight on there. And I've seen it with other guys as well. Obviously, it's done down in Brazil. From what I understand, it was commi- it's actually commissioned by the Brazilian government, I believe, if, if I'm right about that. I believe Not it in 2003, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there you go. That was the first ever edition. And I was looking up and down the card. And I saw a couple interesting what a names. card, man. Holy right? moly. That's what I'm saying. Jacare Macaco. Jacare tried throwing down with him. Ego got yeah. to him, and he got knocked out. I think that was his first fight. Gonzaga versus Verdun. They had a good mm-hmm. fight, man. And we saw that fight later in the UFC. Go ahead. You can- but, no, what, what about this one, though? What about Shinsuke Nakamura? Oh, WWE superstar. Yes. That's amazing that stuff. Card. You know, and I I, I knew he Schultz. dabbled in it, but I didn't know he fought on Jungle Fight. That was crazy. Yes, that's right, man. That's right. And Mark wow. Schultz. Mark Schultz, Olympic Cold Mark Dallas. Schultz, yeah. crazy, right? I mean, just uh I mean, and then of course you and Machida, you know, which is amazing. You know what I mean? Which is yeah. it's wild. Who else? Cyborg fought on that card. Mr. Cyborg. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Cyborg, Evangelista. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just it, it's a, what a what a wild card that was. Tell me what that experience McCauley, was like going down to Dude, it was like being in the movie Enter the Dragon. That's all I could compare <laughs> it to, man. Really? Or no, at the time, I just beat Terry Martin, and uh, Machida was two and zero. Although I couldn't get any video of any of them, so I knew nothing about him. Just said he was a karate guy. I was in my, in my head there. Oh, like karate that crap don't work in this but then like <laughs> you know not too long before i got on the plane i was like researching him and on, online i came across an interview with him in an article that said um my father has been training me since birth in machida karate that kind of set a little red light off uh, like you know most kids started wrestling in high school and things like that or started karate when they were 15 but my father has been training me since birth and that really stuck in the back of my head. Like, this kid's been bred for this. Yeah, you know, just uh, such a, a wild time. In the beginning... The fight was in the middle of the Amazon River in Manaus. Manaus, Brazil. Jungle yeah. fight is literally... Right? And I think off the plane, we're going to... We, we were in Rio. I was trained at Carlson's old gym in Rio. Then we took a plane to Manaus. 
And we're just going from Brazil to Brazil. I'm thinking it's like a two-hour flight. It's like a six-and-a-half-hour flight, you know? And then um, I think we're going to the hotel from Manaus, but we're not. We go to a boating dock. And next thing you know, it's like we're on like a boat, really. And then well, it was a couple hours, about two-and-a-half hours on the boat. We finally start in the middle of nowhere in the Amazon River coming out on this, like, eco-tourism resort that was just built in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it was this long... The, the, the rooms were like these huts stacked on top of each other. And there were these like long um, kind of like bridges, like planks that would connect like these flat areas and whatnot. And, and that's what it was. I mean, it was literally in the middle of the river. So coming up on that resort, I'll never forget it. The sun was setting and there was this guy and it was like something out of the movie. I'm on the boat looking off in the distance and I see this guy with two pad holders, one on each side. Ba, 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 ba. Bah, 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 bah. And like, and it turned out that was Machida. I didn't really know at the time, but we both got closer, and it was like uh, pretty wild. And all I could feel like was like, like holy crap! You know, I grew up watching Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon. He has to go to this on a boat to this island to this martial arts expedition to fight, and it was just felt like I was exactly in it. But then during the fight with Machida's slickness, I'll never forget too. I was boxing a lot at the time. Yeah. And I, I didn't even telegraph, but I rifled like a straight right, left, right combo, like speed, fast, no telegraph. And he slipped the first punch, countered, slipped the third one, and moved again. Like Then I kind of like started laughing to myself, and it made my nose bleed a little more than it should have. All I heard was, they're going to they're gonna pay you $25,000. Yeah, and I think that year leading up to the '96 Olympics, I I was still on AS uh, um, Syracuse's payroll, so that was like that was like I think nine hundred and fifty dollars a month. Yeah, uh, and then that was only for eight months out of the year, and then I was getting a stipend from Fox Sketcher that was like twelve hundred dollars a month. So I think that whole year I made like twenty one thousand yeah. dollars, and uh, somebody's offered me twenty five thousand to fight in one night and it's gonna be in cash yeah so so i was like okay yeah i'll do it you know it's that simple yeah okay and when i signed up for it you know we started training for it i was like i don't even know really what i'm training for we're watching vhs tapes i don't know if you're <laughs> like like of course somebody, somebody somebody that's listened to us they'll go yeah i think my mom has some of those in the closet somewhere <laughs> <Of course. laughs> um so so I'm getting VHS tapes, I'm watching it, doing all this stuff, trying to figure out what, and it just really, until I got down there, it, it really wasn't apparent that this was like the basement of a hotel. Yeah. Um, it was, and I'm not kidding, it was probably 700, 750, 900 Brazilian men. It was just a bunch of Brazilian men and a couple of Brazilian, I mean, for every one Brazilian for every one Brazilian woman, there was at least 50 Brazilian men there. It was just crazy. And it was a ring. There was no locker room. There was no nothing. There was like a, a tiny, you know, probably four foot by eight foot partition. That was my locker room. Yeah. You know, it was, it was great. Like looking back on it going, oh, shit, I said yes to that. Yeah. And it was no, no rules, no gloves. The only thing you weren't allowed to do is bite, you know, and, and, and gouge somebody in the eye. You're allowed to headbutt. Knee, elbow, kick, punch, you know. So yeah. looking back on it, no, if you would have told me all of this stuff, we're probably like, nah, I'll find yeah. a different way to make money. Yeah, it was next level. I've, I've seen, I've watched the videos and some of the old stuff with Vanderlei Silva and just 
wow, man, it's, uh, it is next level. It really is. Um, it really is no rules. I mean, it's, it's wild stuff. And, uh, and I, there's a couple of things I took from what you were just talking about. First of all, to be in Brazil, uh, in an arena, and it's just all the men, that's not too good because there's a lot of beautiful women in Brazil. I, I would imagine you'd want to oh, spend God. time with the women, <laughs> not all the men. Right? <laughs> right? You know, I, I just listened to the entire thing back. Awesome. I can't say enough about this episode because, you know, I really hit all those big highlights from season one and some of the stories that I really popped for Jens Pulver, you know, fighting for free just to make a reel to send out, you know, to the UFC to get that opportunity. And then his buddy, you know, not getting good footage. So he had to go get another fight the next weekend. Crazy, right? You know, or, or Sean Shirk sharing gloves with four or five different guys, Frank Mears sharing gloves with everybody and then having to be in the co-main event. So just sweat and nastiness all over those gloves. Or how about Mark Kerr making his debut in Brazil, Valley Tudo or Frankie Edgar unsanctioned fight in his debut. I don't know, man. You know, it just makes you realize how special this sport is, how special these fighters are, their national treasures, some of the stories that they have. They, they blow my mind. And just remember that everybody that you heard on this best of episode is available in the archives. That means on your podcast app, whether it be Apple Podcasts, uh, through ad-free shows, Spotify, whatever, you're going to be able to see every one of these episodes and hear every one of these episodes in its entirety. If you go to our official YouTube page, you'll see those interviews in their entirety. A lot of options here, folks, but you know it's been my pleasure thus far. If you want to hear something from another fighter, if you have an idea of a guest for season two, hit me up at In This Corner MMA on all your social media platforms or at Cyrus the Show directly on any social media platforms. And we will do our best to make them guests because we got a lot of connections here, folks. We are making these interviews happen and it's only going to get bigger and better. We'll kick off season two in just two weeks' time with the great Kane Velasquez, uh, an interview I'm so excited to break out here for all of you fans and for all of the MMA community. Kane doesn't do a whole lot of interviews, so it's over an hour with Kane. You guys are going to love that. And coming up next week, we got another best of episode coming at you from this incredible menagerie of fighters and legends and figureheads in this sport. So that is where we will leave it. Thank you for listening. I'm Cyrus Fees. We'll see you next time right here on In This Corner.